Tonight on Huckabee, Brett Bozell exposes the media war on President Trump. Scott Mann takes you on a hero's journey. And country music's Aaron Watson performs. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Love these folks in our studio audience. Don't you wish you were here with them? Well, you could be. So sign up and get some free tickets one of these days. Now, by the way, I get told every day by people on social media that I am a complete idiot. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I think they might be right. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but maybe I got it all wrong. And boy, I feel like a fool. Let me explain. You see, no male in my entire family lineage had ever graduated high school, much less gone to college. So I not only graduated high school, but I went to college, graduated magna cum laude, completed my four-year degree in two years and three months, and I paid my own way, and I finished without a penny of debt. Now, I appreciate the applause. You might think that indicates I'm pretty smart but it really shows just how dumb I was. You see, I've been listening to Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and most of the other Democrats running for president, and they want to wipe out everyone's student loans. Folks, I worked 40 hours a week and held another part-time job, took 20 hours a semester, went to classes during summer and even January break. I feel so foolish. If I just borrowed all that money to get my education, taken my sweet time to finish, enjoyed a little more of campus life and the fun stuff that I never had time for, I could have just waited to feel the burn. <laughs> and then I could have let other people pay off my student loans. True, a lot of those people who would be paying off my loans didn't even get to go to college, but what the hey? They're suckers, just like me. But I say, why stop at student loans? Why not wipe out my home loan? <laughs> and car loans, too. What about credit card debt and small business loans? I mean, if we can just forget one of my debts that I signed up for, agreed to pay, and intentionally made on my own, we ought to forgive them all. And that's why I feel so cheated I could have built a bigger house, driven a Bentley, taken vacations around the world anytime I wanted, worn designer clothes, and eaten at the most expensive restaurants. And I would have gone to the most expensive college I could find instead of the small Christian college not that far from my hometown. Now, just the student loan forgiveness will cost trillions. Yes, I said trillions. But Bernie and his buddies say, don't worry, we'll just let the rich people pay for it. I got a feeling that the rich people didn't get that rich by being that stupid. <laughs> They're going to hire some great attorneys and accountants, and they'll find a way to escape being robbed. And that leaves the rest of us to pay. And it means that people who paid their debts are going to be paying for the people who didn't. And the people who couldn't afford a college education that was expensive will be paying for the bratty little snots who couldn't either, but they went anyway, <laughs> borrowed money they can't pay back, and somehow think it's somebody else's job to get them out of it. Hey, some of us were raised by parents who lived in poverty, but as my parents taught me, don't spend money you don't have and don't borrow money that you can't afford to pay back. Now, in fairness, a lot of people owing big debt for school got sucked into it by high-priced universities that operate licensed theft by charging way more than their education is worth. And others got a degree in interpretive dance or holistic finger painting. <laughs> and they're starting to ask, as Jed Clampett would have said, is there a big call for that? <laughs> and frankly, they're discovering there isn't. 
So maybe let them refinance their loans and get a much better interest rate more in keeping with the current low rates rather than the loan shark rates that they signed up for. But if some of these folks can afford the latest iPhone, lattes from Starbucks, and a Netflix subscription, maybe they can start paying off their own debt. And Bernie can peddle his socialism somewhere else. Because I... It's real simple, folks. I don't want America to look like Venezuela. I want it to still look like America. My first guest is a popular columnist, TV commentator, and head of the Media Research Center. It's America's leading media watchdog. His latest best-selling book is called Unmask, Big Media War Against Trump. Please welcome to the show Brent Bozell. Brent, I want to get right to uh, the fact that you were not a big Trump supporter back in 2016, but you've written a book about how the media has certainly uh, been a little, let's just say, less than charitable toward the president. Uh, what do you see in the coverage of this president different than in the past? Well, um, I was a crew supporter in the primaries. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't come at this book from, a, from the standpoint of being a Trump sycophant, which is what gives credibility, I think, to the book. Um, but what you're seeing it with this president, Mike, is, is an attack more ferocious uh, than on any president in the history of this country both from the standpoint of quantity, the number of negative stories, and quality, the way in which they're presented. I've never seen anything like this. In 32 years of analyzing the press, we've seen bias, we've seen stories that are wrong. I've never seen this kind of fakery. One of the uh, things that kind of, I guess, justify a lot of the media attacks, they say that they're doing their fact-checking. I'll be honest with you, when I hear the word fact-checker, I generally think of advocate because most of the so-called fact checkers are nothing near checking actual facts. But the public seems to think there's credibility there. How do you, how do you battle that? When you've got these fact checkers that are as liberal as the news organizations that are being used, well, there are, they are constantly going to find fault with, with somebody. For example, it was, I think, the Washington Post just recently was awarding four Pinocchios to Donald Trump. I believe it was. It was this uh, because he kept using the phrase socialist. And they were saying Democratic Party policies are not socialist. Well, of course they are. But the fact checkers decided, decided they weren't. You know, Brent, one of my uh, funniest moments, I got hit by the Washington Post for four Pinocchios and their fact checker checked me on a fact. You know where I sourced my fact? was the Washington Post. Who was that? I, I thought it was amazing. So I used their material, and they said, no, your material is, is, is faulty. And I'm thinking, well, I got it from you guys. So what? let's go to some specific... Why do I believe you? <laughs> some specific journalists, or let me say some specific TV personalities. You got people like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC and Don Lemon on CNN, and they beat the drum of the Russia collusion story night after night after night. Do you think for a moment they honestly believed that the president of the United States was a paid agent of Russia? No, but they were hoping somebody could possibly find that out for them. Uh, this, you know, the president is right when he calls this fake news. He has said since day one, since the very first story appeared, and all of his supporters have said since day one, since the story first appeared, there is no evidence of this. They kept pointing to the Mueller investigation. When it comes out, it's going to tell you for once and for all. It's going to answer it. So the Mueller response came out. What was the response? There is no collusion. There is no evidence anywhere of collusion. A good journalist would drop it at that point. A good journalist would say, well, I was wrong for two years. It's over. The report has come out. All they've done is they've just doubled down on it. They're now having hearings where they're dragging Mueller into the hearing room to grill him some more, as if there's something he's now hiding from the American people. I don't know. One of the things I want you to try to express is just how unbalanced is the coverage. And offer a few examples of ways in which the media has just gone off the left side of Earth in the coverage of President Trump. 
Um, if you were to call Barack Obama a Nazi, what would be the reaction? <laughs> or a communist or anything along those lines? You get fired. Correct. You would say, nah, and before Zeke came out, you'd be fired. In the case of Donald Trump, it's a regular uh, adjective that is used. The Nazi Donald Trump. The fascist Donald Trump. This is thrown out by networks with, with impunity. If you were to say of Barack Obama's daughter that she was a feckless, and I cannot even give you the letter, dot, 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 a feckless, unbelievable, obscene, unbelievably obscene word, the daughter of Barack Obama, what would happen? You'd lose your job uh, 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 absolutely correctly if you did so. Samantha B did that about Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter. The audience applauded her for it. Eventually, she had to apologize. Joy Behar called uh, Vice President Mike Pence's religion a mental illness, his Christianity. This is the kind of incredible double standard that's taking place. It is not only that one thing is allowed on one side and one thing is not allowed on the other, but what is allowed is so over-the-top disgusting, that, and they can get away with it with impunity now. Well, your book is a great service to the people of America. I hope they read it because I hope they understand that when they're depending on the Washington Post, New York Times, or one of the networks to get information about our country, uh, they probably better keep digging because they may not get the truth. That's why they need your book. And if you yeah. want to know why a president with such a great record gets 90% negative coverage, then read the book. It's called Unmask, Big Media's War Against Trump. It's on Amazon. You can get it at all major booksellers. And to see how the media twists the news, visit newsbusters.org. You can also follow Brent on Twitter at Brent Bozell. Now, Keith Bilby probably ought to be wearing a mask, but we're going to let him tell us what's next anyway. Coming up, Huck's hero, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, plus champion pizza acrobatics from Scott Bolvay, comedian Ben Price, and country music singer Aaron Watson, all here on Huckabee. And welcome back. Now, when you think about vacation or a great place to spend a few days, think of Nashville and think about being in our studio audience. Remember, I told you about that. Hey, for free tickets, visit Huckabee.tv. Click on the free tickets tab. That's right, free tickets. Ain't nothing in this town that free, so you ought to come. <laughs> now, when veterans return from combat, they often face a whole new battle, life after war. Our next guest knows all too well the burden of transition, but he's using his acting and storytelling skills to help other veterans win the war at home. And that's why he's our Huck's hero tonight. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann started the organization, The Hero's Journey, to help veterans find their voice and tell their own story. To tell us about this important work, would you please welcome Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Colonel, 23 years in the military, 18 of which were as a Green Beret. Yes, sir. Not everybody makes that cut. So, obviously, uh, your commitment to this country is absolutely rock solid. Thank you. But you saw what happened when people go to war, they come home, and sometimes they didn't leave the war back overseas. Right. They brought it home with them. Yes, sir. Yeah, I did uh, four tours in Afghanistan, and mm -hmm. uh, when, I, when I retired about six years ago, my transition was pretty challenging. My wife, Monty, and I, we've been married 24 years. My three boys, I thought it would be awesome. But coming home was harder than I thought. Mm. And it was really through learning to tell my own story uh, that I found a way to transition out of that. And that's, that's what we do today is we use storytelling to help veterans uh, find their voice and tell their story as they come home. You help them actually write plays. Now, did you have a background in, in being a playwright or a, uh, a writer? Not, 
I didn't, and I'm also performing the play. So you talk about a midlife crisis. Because <laughs> um, yeah, it ain't the kind of thing you think of a Green Beret saying, I believe I'll be a playwright when I get home. That's exactly what my teammates told me, too. Yeah. You know, they, uh, but, but I just, I'm a speaker as well, and I, I was doing a, a five-minute one-person show for my class. And by the end of the story, there wasn't a dry in the room, and people said, that's a play. Mm. And so two years later, a lot of writing and uh, a lot of work. We have a play called Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret, and we're taking it around the country. Let's talk about that phrase, last out. Tell me what that means. Well, you know, in the movies and on the screen, we always see the stuff about the first in, you know, whether gotcha. it's Navy SEALs or Army Rangers going in and taking down a target. But what we don't see are the stories of the last out, those mm. men and women who go back to Afghanistan, back to Iraq, eight, 10, 12 times. Uh, and I appreciate you labeling me as a, as a hero, but honestly, it's those folks that are the heroes and more importantly, the families mm. that endure that. Never in the history of America have people been sent repeatedly into combat situations over and over again, over a long stretch of time. And we're just now beginning to understand that there's some real damage going on to people's spirits when they, uh, when they experience something like well, that. Let me tell you, I mean, when you deploy eight, 10, 12 times and you're seeing sustained combat day in and day out, uh, it has an effect, right? And uh, that's what this play actually is about. When you're over there, you're wishing you were home. And when you're home, you're wishing you were over there. And it's just a constant cycle. How can people connect so that they can see the play? How can they, maybe they're veterans. They'd love to know what they can do to connect to your organization. Well, the first thing is we'd love them to go to the heroesjourney.org, H-E-R-O-E-S, uh, journey.org. Uh, online, we can help them learn to tell their story as a transition tool. But if you want to see the play, and I absolutely, we'd love to have you there as well, Governor. Love to come. Um, lastoutplay.com. And by the way, we brought you, uh, as a friend of our Heroes Journey organization, we brought you a go bag. Oh, This wow. is what every good operator carries with them just in case things go south. You can always grab this thing and head for the hills. So I've done a few shows, Colonel, that went south. I may need that bag right here at this desk. A go bag. Thank you. Yes, but more than for the bag, thank you for the extraordinary service and sacrifice that not just you, but your entire family has made on behalf of me and all of these people who are the beneficiaries you. of your service and sacrifice. You. God bless you. Thank you. And I... A well-deserved ovation for, for Colonel Mann. God bless him. To find out more about the hero's journey, go to theheroesjourney.org. And as the Colonel said, to see Last Out in person, go to lastoutplay.com for the locations and the show times. I hope I'll be able to catch one of them. I truly do. Keith, we've just gotten started tonight, so you can tell us what we have to look forward to because there's a lot. Up next, hilarious news stories and champion pizza acrobat Scott Volpe. Then reality television's Jeremy and Audrey Roloff. The comedy of Ben Price and country music star Aaron Watson, right here on Huckabee. Imagine that twice a day you could have delivered to your email a thoughtful email of breaking news, explanations of what that news means to you, and a little humor just to keep you from screaming about the news. And then imagine it's all free. Well, don't imagine it. Sign up for it at MikeHuckabee.com. And by the way, while you're there, become my Facebook friend. I need friends. And sign up to follow me on Twitter for tweets that, well, quite frankly, they will trigger some people straight to a safe place so they can howl at the moon <laughs> and howl at me. And there are even some links to our YouTube channel where you can watch any segment of the show that you want. Well, from really bad fake license plates to brides tossing cats to the bridal party, we've got the news that'll get you pulled over for DWBL, driving while belly laughing. It's on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, university students far and wide have been handing in their graduation thesis. 
countless hours of research and study, writing and formatting their enormous academic document in order to prove to professors and committees that they have triumphed in their discipline. Well, Sarah Whelan Curtis decided that her achievement needed to be recognized in a unique and memorable way. So she did a maternity photo shoot to recognize giving birth to her thesis. (laughs) I'm not sure that you measure a thesis by trimesters or ultrasounds, but I will say the results of all that work is probably worth a photo or two, if not a shower with educational gifts. Her effort did stir a few other shots that depicted the pain, travail, and celebration of the thesis project on our social media as well. Dateline, California, motorcycle cop in Moore Park, just north of L.A., pulled over a big rig truck when he noticed an odd license plate. It had yellow letters on a black background like 1960s California plates, but it was the lettering that caught his eye. It had been hand-drawn on the plate. And and instead of California, the plates read Califus. I guess the driver couldn't remember whether he was in California or Las Vegas. But that's understandable since he was also arrested. I know this will surprise you on suspicion of DUI and meth possession, among other things. The good news for the truck driver is that he'll soon be able to make authentic California license plates at the state prison. David Rush is a gentleman who holds over 100 Guinness World Records. And now he's added a new one to his credit by stuffing 146 blueberries into his mouth at once. 146 blueberries. The previous record, by the way, was held by an Indian man named Maximouth. Maximouth. You know, isn't that Maxine Waters' nickname? I think, I think it is. But... That guy only got 86 blueberries in his mouth. Heck, I've seen people at the Golden Corral Buffet do better than that. Now, from the website sadanduseless.com, that ought to tell you something. It's a humor site on the web. We want to bring to you a story of bridal party pictures where the bride decided not to throw a bouquet, but instead to hurl a cat at the waiting, <laughs> at the waiting bridal party. Take a look at that. Okay, all right. Before some of you cat owners just think this is a catastrophe, the cats were just photoshopped in. Please remember it was all in good fun and no cat was harmed in the photoshopping. And pet lovers never forget the words of Winston Churchill. All dogs look up to you. All cats look down on you. Only the pig sees you as an equal. Well, just like the fellow who discovered Bigfoot, we've run out of time. But never forget, we read the news. My next guest is a unique performer for sure. I mean, he gives a whole new definition to the term of spinning the news. He takes mere pizza dough, he spins it, choreographs with it, and puts on a show. In fact, he's so good at it, he was awarded as a world champion. I want you to welcome to our show the pizza acrobatics of Mr. Scott Volpe.
Scott Volpe. Now you know why he's the world champion of this. You think you could teach that to me? Yeah, it's easy. I don't know about how easy. Not the breakdancing part. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Only once, and then I'd be in orthopedics for weeks. But can you just teach me basically how to toss the pizza dough? Yeah, of course. It's nice and easy. Okay. Nothing, nothing you haven't done before. What's, what? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I've. Uh, Are you ready? I think so. What right, do I do? So it's it's kind of like throwing a frisbee. Okay. And shooting a basketball. All at the same time. Two things you know how to do already, probably, right? Oh, yeah. I'm great at both of those, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. Frisbee, basketball, with pizza dough. For sure. So you're going to go to sh throw the frisbee. Okay. And then you shoot the basketball. Well, almost. <laughs> ah, there we go. Now, that part, I'm not sure about. You know what I want to do? Let me see how high I can get one of these, okay? Oh, there's my pizza. Hey, hey. Oops, oops. Hand that back to me. Man, thank you. I got a little carried away, huh? Yeah, I guess I did. That was a pretty good throw, huh? Hey, Scott, you taught me too well, man. <laughs> You're learning. So how did you get started in all this stuff? Well, I grew up working in pizzerias, and I learned how to spin pizza from everybody I worked with and started doing competitions and, you know, Became the world champion. <laughs> I gotta ask you this question. How good is your pizza? Oh, it tastes good too. This is more important. Than okay, see, that's right? what I want to know. <laughs> you know, and that's an interesting thing because I read about the pizza place that you run, and you take great pride in the taste of your pizza, not just throwing the dough around. What makes for a great pizza? The love and the passion. You're in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. At a wonderful place called Fiami. Yep, beautiful. And uh, I've, I've, I'm going to tell you, if I'm in Tucson and I may make a special trip, I'm going to go out there and get some pizza from this guy, don't you? <laughs> well, if you'd like to enjoy a great night out with some world-class pizza, visit Scott's Restaurant in Tucson. Get information at FiamiPizzaTucson.com. That's FiamiPizzaTucson.com. Get the spelling on the screen because you'll never figure it out if you don't look at it on TV. <laughs> also, check them out on Facebook at scott.volpe.90. That's scott.volpe. Again, get the spelling off the screen, dot nine zero. Hey, Keith, you ought to get a job with Scott. I mean, you always said you wanted to make a lot of dough. And while you're still here, spin a tale about the rest of our show. Well, up next, reality TV sweethearts Jeremy and Audrey Roloff, comedian impersonator Ben Price, and country music singer Aaron Watson performs on Huckabee. Little People, Big World is one of the most popular shows in reality history. Tonight, we have one of the family members and stars along with his bride. But before we meet them, let's take a look at a clip from the show. Hey, Jacob! You know, the kids have been home for the summer. We've had a great time. And um, as the kids go on to their own adventure, except for Jacob, my house is going to be empty, and Matt and I are definitely on our own. You know, that's kind of a scary thing. There is Zach next to Mom. <laughs> Molly and I will be in the back. Okay. Aw, oh, it's pretty, guys. You know who we're missing? Rocky. He used to always be in the front. I know. He used to always be, like, right here. I know. I was thinking about Rocky. There's couches or pillows behind the table. Uh, when I walked into the kitchen, I totally thought it was Rocky Lane. Oh, he's oh, a wow. It was a sad one. Things are changing. Life's changing. The family's changing. Rocky's gone. Molly and Jeremy are leaving. And it's kind of scary, actually. I don't think you can prepare yourself properly for how life evolves. America, watch my next guest get married on the popular reality show, Little People, Big World. They're now sharing the secrets of a solid, faith-centered marriage in their new book. It's called A Love Letter Life. We welcome Jeremy and Audrey Roloff. 
We're happy to have you guys here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Now, you write a book about the love life, and, and look, it's a little different background. I mean, you come from a very interesting family. You've grown up on television. Yeah. The whole world's been watching you. How hard is it to adjust from this very public reality TV life to marrying somebody and trying to keep a few things to yourselves? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because we literally just wrote a book <laughs> about everything that about was, everything on your life that wasn't told, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of funny. Um, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I feel like a couple years ago, I, there was a stirring in my heart. I was just like, "How much longer do I want to be doing this? Hmm. It's been a long time." Yeah, I think I was 12 or 13 years old when the whole show started, and so marrying Audrey was kind of the first. I think that's when the Lord first started to stir in my heart, like, okay, like I've got a job for you to do, you know, a mission, and um, I've equipped you very well, and it, it's getting time to maybe jump ship and go do some other things. And so two years into marriage, we decided to do that. So where did you meet? How did that happen? So we met essentially on a blind date. We were set up by two of our trusted friends who thought we'd be good together. You still trust and those friends? We do. Yeah, we do. Good. Yeah. That's, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So yes, we essentially met on a blind date before church and Jeremy pursued me for two years. We were just strictly friends and then decided to date by culture standards about 10 days before he went off to film school in Santa Barbara. So we did three years long distance, hence the letters. And Jeremy wrote me hand typed letters on a typewriter. And that was a huge part of our love story. And so yeah. then we got married and we and kind of we tell the journey to our wedding day in the book. and. Here, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so what are the great challenges that you still find, even though you're both strong Christian believers, you love God, you love each other, you love the Bible, but that doesn't mean that you don't have some conflicts. Absolutely. Totally. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I think like currently we live, our generation specifically, and like the millennials, we're with Instagram, we're painting this picture perfect version of everything. And so mm. we're inundated with highlight reels, right? Mm -hmm. And so we then try to imitate those and when it doesn't happen we're not really equipped or prepared to uh, I guess wrestle through the challenges or not and with this per like this picture perfect facade we're all painting it's it's uh, it's distorting the way I think we're viewing marriage and we're viewing these struggles and whatnot because like the struggles part of it's the journey I mean that's the whole point of it all is to be uh, t constantly like turning ourselves into better versions of Christ and representing the gospel and like that's not easy by definition and so it's like I don't know, there's a perspective shift I think we need, to, we need to have as a culture and the pictures aren't helping. And I often think, gosh, if, if couples would understand that marriage is a laboratory that you spend the rest of your life in mm -hmm. trying to learn yes. how to love rather yes. than at the altar, we get it all. It happens right, right there. It's in a magic yes. moment and it isn't. One so, of the things really? we always say is we always want to be students of ourselves and each huh. other because we want to just realize that we're on this constant journey of, you know, we call it the growing excitement of discovery, where like huh. I get to learn new things about Jeremy year after year after year, and that should excite me. You know what I mean? The fact that I get to mar be married to a new man, the new version of Jeremy when he's 30 and 40 and 50, like that's yeah. exciting to me. And so, and that's and that's the road, that and that's the road to oneness. Like yeah. we might be, we might become one, you know, in a moment when we say I do and commit and consummate, commit our vows and whatnot. But then like there's the journey to I do, which is just the, or sorry, then there's the road to oneness, which is living that out every day. Yeah, and so, it. yeah, I mean, we just, we really just want to inspire people, specifically our age, our generation, um, to just press into that and do it creatively, intentionally, and ultimately faithfully. Well, you're going to find Jeremy and Audrey Roloff's new book, A Love Letter Life, along with their behind the scenes podcast, The Marriage Journal Tool. That'll help your marriage and much more at theroloffs.com. You can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Jeremy Roloff and at Audrey Roloff. All right, Keith, I don't know what big things we've got coming up next, but I'm sure you know what they are and you might let us in on it. Coming up, comedian impersonator Ben Price and country music star Aaron Watson sings on Huckabee. Recently, our good friend and comedic impressionist Ben Price stopped by the show on a trip from down under. But before we get to his performance, I want to share this video that he sent from Australia. 
Apparently a world leader stopped in Australia the other day for a little recreation alongside some Aussie voters. We're going to see if we can go ice skating. We're going to see if they're going to let us in. Let's do this. Making ice skating great again. I can't get these skates up. We're making ice skating great again. Thank you. Look, we should shake hands. This is like the uh, American-North Korean deal. <laughs> this is wonderful. I love that they built a giant wall all around this. It's amazing. It's tremendous. All right, I need a rest. This is, I'm just going around in circles. I feel like I'm with the media here. What's going on? Keep going around the same direction. Nothing's achieved. Uh, I would let you into America. Well, thank you so much. Snapchat with Donald Trump, Trump on ice. Look it up. This is literally the best way to trap the illegal immigrants who put skates on them. Man, this thing's not going to come. That is hard work right there. We're going to put those over there. Good to see you. Great to see you. Well, that was really hot on the ice. Thank you. Hey, guys. How you all doing? Good to be back, guys. I am so excited. Uh, you can tell from the way I'm speaking already. I have a southern accent. And uh, <laughs> I do. It's, it's southern hemisphere. Down under in Australia, I, I want to say we're a little bit similar to you guys. I mean, we, we have cars down in Australia, which people find unusual because you have cars. We have cars. We say it a little differently. And we put petrol in our car at a petrol station, which you guys, you put gas in your car in the gas station, right? So I found that so strange at first because I'm like, isn't it, is it a gas? No, it's a liquid. Oh, right. So every time you talk about petrol like gas it's actually a liquid so I didn't know what first and so I worked it out every time you say gas it's actually a liquid so actually now if someone says I got gas it might be a liquid I don't know my wife is the most brilliant ventriloquist and I gotta say most women are unbelievable ventriloquists and you probably don't even realize so next time you're out at a party you watch there'll be women going check out what she's wearing Look at the shoes on her. Pretty sure she's had some work done. It's <laughs> women right now going, he knows my secret. <laughs> but uh, that, that's how we talk in Australia, a bit of the ventriloquist. We sometimes speak with our mouth really wide open, like Steve Irwin. I have a friend who speaks like this. He, he says, hey, oh, mate, you've got to see this movie. And I'm like, what movie? He goes, four. Right, four? Yeah, it's a superhero movie. Oh, I see. You mean like the Fantastic Four? He goes, no, nah, no, nah, four. I'm like, oh, what, what's it about? He goes, oh, he's got like a cape. He's got big muscles. He's got a hammer. I said, oh, Thor. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, four. I'm like, right, yeah, four. They've done three Thor movies. So what happens when they do part four? <laughs> you got to see four, four. We'll see 444. That's ridiculous. I'd love to actually direct my own Avengers because I think they could actually recast the whole thing. And I could imagine that we've got the whole cast right here. Morgan Freeman is going to play Spider Man. Mm. Spider Man, mm. Spider Man does whatever a spider can. Spins his. No, I can't spin a web at my age. All I produce is cobwebs. All right, well, we've got Dr. Phil over here, and Dr. Phil's going to be Dr. Strange. Get real. Are you nuts? You want me to be Dr. Strange and perform illusions on people and mystify them? Somewhere out there, a village is missing its idiot. I do that on my show every week. We've got Jack Nicholson, thank you, over here, and I mean, Jack Nicholson's going to be the Hulk. Well, they got me to play the Incredible Hulk. I had to get really, really extremely angry. And I haven't acted in a few years. So to get into character, I got onto Facebook and expressed my political views. <laughs> Worked a treat. <laughs> Thank you. Over here we've got uh, Owen Wilson's going to play the role of Thor. Wow. Yeah, I get to play Thor. Wow. So exciting. I got this hammer. It's amazing. Wow. Don't have any nails to go with it, but hey, I got a few screws loose as well. Wow. 
And over here, well, we've got the Iron Man. And Iron Man is a billionaire, Tony Stark. And he's going to be played by, well, this guy needs no introduction. My name is Iron Man. And we are going to make the Avengers great again. Believe me, nobody does superpowers like me. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's huge. Thank you. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Perfectly. <laughs> Thank you. I, I get a real charge. You can go from this very pronounced Australian accent yeah. to sounding just like Donald Trump. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's a big difference there. There's between, a big difference there. Yeah, anyone that's a president's fair game. What was the first impression you ever did? The first Hollywood character I ever did was, was actually Sylvester Stallone, right? So, <laughs> and, and I still like, I used to do him all the time when I was a teenager. And I actually remember uh, when Arnie and then Arnold Schwarzenegger, this was fantastic because these guys got to act in a movie. And I was just like, this is a childhood dream seeing, you know, I mean, uh, Sylvester Stallone said, would you like a cameo in my latest movie? And Arnie's like, I'm too busy for a cameo, but how about a small part instead? Hang on a minute. Did you ever prank people like calling up a radio station and pretending to be some celebrity and having them totally believe that you were doing that? I, I usually prank restaurants. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, you get a reservation? I, I actually, I pranked, uh, this is a true story, I yep. rang a landscape gardener <laughs> Uh, wanting to get a retaining wall at the back of my house. And I said, I need a wall at the back of my yard. <laughs> I said, the neighbours, they're not bringing their best. <laughs> I want this to block out the neighbours. And the, the guy's going along with it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, totally that fell for it. That is hilarious. <laughs> so um, you've also done voice work in Pilgrim's Progress, the movie. So yeah. how did that come about? Actually, Liam Neeson was, he's one of my favorite characters. All right, do him. He, he was the evangelist yeah. in the, the 70s movie. He said, you gotta go that way. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. God's <laughs> given you a very particular set of skills to walk the narrow path. I don't think he said that, but uh, but, but I, he should have said. He should have said. No doubt about it. Oh, it's similar to that, yeah. absolutely. So I got to play uh, uh, Judge Hategood. So I had to. It was nothing like me. So I had to get into this character. He's a little character. Looks like Mr. Bean, and, <laughs> and he speaks like this. So he's very up there, and it's it's just it's sore on your throat. But it was so much fun uh, playing these characters, and uh, it's a great film. It's a great story. Well, before you go, give us your very favorite character of all. Hmm. Who would that be? I, I've got three kids. And okay. They, they love some of the cartoon ones, like King Julian. So I get very excited. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> I throw my hands in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I do that for my little girl every night. I'll tuck her in bed and I'll do Shrek and I'll do Daggy. Go to sleep, beautiful girl. <laughs> Daddy loves you. She gets so excited. She's so cute. She's 17. She loves it. Uh, <laughs> you know, the bad thing is, you're ruining it for every parent who now is going to be expected to do that yeah, for their kids and I do know. it in the voice of the cartoon character. The pressure. Ben, we love having you. Hope you come back. It Thank is you. a joy and what a terrific uh, talent God's given you. Thank you Thank very much. Thank you so much. much. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Well, be sure to see countless other comedy bits and amazing impressions at BenPriceComedy.com. You can also follow him on Twitter and Facebook at BenPriceComedy. Keith? Maybe you could make an impression on all of us and tell us what's coming up next. Up next, country music's Aaron Watson sings on Huckabee. And welcome back. My next guest is a country music singer and songwriter championing America's working class. Please join me in welcoming Aaron Watson. Aaron, great to have you here. Thank you. You have done things a little differently than a lot of music people. You've, you've maintained control of your art, and I respect and appreciate that so very much. Thank you. You know, for the first 10 years of my career, uh, Anytime I would talk to one of the major labels, they told me that I wasn't good enough or my sound wasn't commercial enough and that I didn't have what it took. And uh, my dad, you know, I remember going back home with my, back home to Texas with my tail tucked between my legs and I was like, dad, they don't think that I'm good enough. And my dad was always like, you know, that's the same thing they said to Willie 
for all those years. You know, Aaron, I, I so appreciate that you had a father who encouraged you in your music, because there are a lot of people who try, and their parents sort of say, you can't make a living at it, don't do that, but it's your yeah. dream, and it's my, what you want to do. My dad is a hero. My dad's 100% uh, disabled from serving our country during the mm. Vietnam War. Yeah. And um, growing up, dad was a janitor. And I was around 12 years old, and all my buddies were going swimming. And I said, Dad, I want to go swimming today with all my friends. And he said, I really need you to help me today at the church. I, well, I need help cleaning the church. And I was like, Dad, this is not fair. I want to go swimming. So I went anyway. So, you know, I went, I went cleaning with Dad. And we're, we're in the men's bathroom. I got on the yellow gloves, and I'm scrubbing the toilet. Lovely job. And I'm just <laughs> complaining left and right. I'm like, this is not fair, Dad. All my buddies are swimming, and, I'm and my dad's in the stall next to me, and he's cleaning. And I'm just complaining, just being that that 12-year-old kid, and my dad pokes his head around the stall, and he said, hey, he said, do you think that when I was your age that I wanted to grow up to become a janitor? Mm. And I just stared at him. He said, uh, he said I got drafted, and, and I went to the war, and I got injured. He said, I almost died. He said, but now God's blessed me with this job, and because mm. of this job, I'm able to take care of you your mama, and your sister. He said, so I'm gonna show thanks and appreciation for this job by making these the cleanest toilets in town. Wow. And Isn't that, that beautiful? I love that. That changed me. Wow. That changed me You were blessed to have your father. You yeah. were blessed, my friend. I'm so blessed. And my mom was there. I can't leave mama out. If I wasn't singing at church, she'd pop me in the back of the head. <laughs> so... <laughs> You and I have a wonderful mutual friend, the immortal Red Stegall, oh, the, yeah. the Texas country poet, and one of the most amazing human beings mm -hmm. that I've ever known. Part of what that red bandana is all about is about Red Stegall, isn't it? It's about Red. I, I had the opportunity to go on vacation with Red um, in Montana, and I wrote this song called Riding with Red. And it, after Riding with Red, it goes into another song and it's a cowboy poem called Red Bandana. Hmm. But when I, I told Red, I said, Red, I wrote a song for you. I go, but in the song, you're dead. <laughs> dead Red. Yeah, dead Red. And Red, Red said, that's okay. That kind of stuff makes for a better song. So, classic Red Stegall. Classic Red. One of the greatest human beings that yeah. breathes air on earth. Yeah. Aaron, I know that uh, this album is red hot. We're so Thank you. thrilled to have you here as this album Thank is you. getting underway. I hope everybody in America loves it like we do, and I hope they all buy it because yes. that's how your music continues to bless Yes. Me. All the proceeds down to the last penny go straight into my wife's purse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. We all understand that, yes. my friend. Well, as Aaron gets ready to sing, Keith is going to tell you how to get your hands on Aaron's fantastic music. Keith? To get your copy of Aaron Watson's Red Bandana, please go to your favorite online music retailer like iTunes and Amazon or wherever music is sold. You can also find the Red Bandana tour schedule at AaronWatson.com. Now, here to sing is Aaron Watson. That golden halo doesn't go so well with my red bandana and blue jeans. God knows when I'm good, I'm good, and when I'm good, it's seldom so it seems. So they say fools play with fire. I'm trying my best to not get burned. While well, I soak myself in gasoline One would think by now I might have learned But I've never learned No, I'm not the man they think I am It weighs heavy on my heart and mind Yes, I stumble every step along the way Like a wino who can't walk the line it's like tightrope walking on a windy day. There's heaven in a rising hill to pay. I'm solid as a rock and sinking sand. Try like the devil to be a good man. So beware of broken. 
broken glass Should you stare into the window of my soul And judge me not, I only bear it all So you know that you are not alone You're not alone No, I'm not the man they think I am It weighs heavy on my heart and mind As I stumble every step along the way It's like tightrope walking on a windy day There's heaven in her eyes and hell to pay And I'm solid as a rock and sinking sand Trying like the devil to be a good man Center, crawl through your back door. Whoa. 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 No, I'm not the man they think I am. It weighs heavy on my heart and mind. As I stumble every step along the way Like one who can't walk the line It's like tightrope walking on a windy day There's heaven in her eyes and hell to pay And I'm solid as a rock and sinking sand Trying like the devil to be a good man And I'm solid as a rock and sinking sand Lord, I'm trying like the devil.